if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome back to Estate Sale. Brad Rayleigh here again, flying solo. For this episode, I sat down with an old grad school friend to talk politics. Dr. James LaPlante is not only a political science professor, but also dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, or as he describes it, middle manager at Valdosta State University, which is located in, you guessed it, Valdosta, Georgia, or Northern Florida, who the hell knows. Anyway, James teaches a course on conspiracy theories, so we talked political identification, a little on the Woodward book, Rage, and then switched to conspiracy theories in our political system. So let me, uh, real quick, I know this is not your area anymore, and we're going to get to conspiracy theories in a bit, which is your area, uh, besides, besides middle management, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. It's like uh, being a dean in QAnon. Those are my two <laughs> areas now. <laughs> um, so... You know, what I, what I thought of you at first, and I sent you this email, and you said you haven't really done anything with that since your dissertation, but as a, as a political scientist who's been watching this for years, and I know there have been times when you, like, are on, uh, you know, helping do election night coverage, and so you're clearly very attuned to how, how voting occurs and how people do. So, so let me just start with one of the premises I have. So is that I think that some people that want part of the problem with the punditry and those of us who are analyzing and very aware of what's going on with policy stuff is that there's a whole chunk of people out there to make electoral choices, voting choices for completely different reasons. Do you think that's a fair statement? Well, yeah. Drew Weston had a book on the, the political brain where he talked a lot about the role of emotions and emotional cues. And we certainly shouldn't underestimate the role of fear and how, how powerful fear right. can be as an emotional cue. And, you know, I mean, that's, you could argue, right, that that's hardwired into our DNA. Right. That's hardwired into our political brain in terms of, uh, you know, fight or flight. And to Trump's credit, or to uh, his campaign's credit, is they certainly have been masterful at playing into those emotions and playing into fear, although certainly both parties have utilized this over time. So, you know, sure. we, we, we certainly shouldn't say that, you know, reliance upon emotional cues or uh, playing to one's fears right. um, is, is unique to one party. J just look at the conventions this summer, right? I mean, right. just look at the the very terrifying vision that Biden and Harris are giving you if Trump wins a second term. And then, of course, Trump's vision of, okay, what, uh, what Biden and Harris will bring you, the end of the suburbs, right. Cory Booker running, sex, you know, running low income housing in the suburbs. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just right. It's, 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 it's lunacy, but um, yeah, you, you, you bet. Although it's, so it's fascinating because I love your question because I mean, political science research 
has found, I mean, I remember when we were in graduate school together, right? I mean, I remember one of the books I read in graduate school was like, do elections matter anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, it may be that elections don't matter and we're not really issue voters anymore and policy doesn't matter and partisanship is weakening. I mean, I feel like, you know, I was in graduate school 190 years ago compared <laughs> to where we're at now because right. A, elections matter right. big time. Right. There are plenty of policy voters and Trump did tap into some of that. And then partisanship, you know, straight, straight party voting, straight line voting, we're seeing more of that. And then this really cool anti-partisanship. So this all weaves together, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you ask about the powerful role of emotions, I mean, my friend, we now see people saying in surveys, I don't want my daughter to date a Democrat, yeah. or I don't want my son to date a Republican. I mean, right. I mean, the kind of stuff people used to say about, I don't want my daughter or son dating somebody of another race, right. that, that kind of nonsense. So we're now seeing such hyper anti-partisanship that people don't want their children dating somebody of the of the other party or or individuals themselves would say, well, you know, I just, I couldn't date a Republican or I couldn't date a Democrat. So, I mean, it's this, you know, we see more straight ticket voting. Yeah. Uh, issue voting has ascended, uh, but we also see this hyper, this hyper anti-partisanship, which I would say a lot of that is emotional cues mm. And fear. So, I mean, this is a really, as we enter what the third decade of the 21st century, this is a fascinating stuff. Mm. This is a fascinating time right. to be studying voters uh, and elections. Let me switch just real quick, as I'm sure you've been paying attention because you don't live under a rock, but uh, Bob Woodward is at it again. And even today, there were new clips released of some of those uh, recordings. Uh, Claire McCaskill last week when this whole thing broke, I don't know if you saw this on MSNBC, but she said, uh, let me just say before we ever get into any of the policy issues that this is the dumbest president I've ever seen to to sit down with with uh, Bob Woodward this close to an election, knowing the book was coming out in September, absolutely seems to be convinced that he, he alone could woo Bob Woodward into Evidently, he thought he was going to produce some kind of puff piece book that would shoo him in. What What are your thoughts on what you're hearing about this about this book? Yeah, well, it, it it's it's fascinating. So I've taught twice. I've taught a course called American Politics in the Age of Donald Trump, and and that came about in my research methods class in 2016. And much like all the other awful prognosticators in my discipline. I predicted Hillary at about 310 to 320 electoral college votes. So when my student said Trump is going to win, I said, he's not going to win. But if he does, if he does, I will design a course just on how he won and his presidency. Well, he won. And then my students reminded me, you owe us a course. So uh, I've twice taught Trump, uh, American politics in the age of Trump. And we look at his biography. We spend a third of the semester on his biography a third of the class on the 2016 election, which was a hell of an election, as we know. Yes. And then we spend the other third on his presidency. And I taught it just uh, uh, just last year. And we used, you know, Bob Woodward's book. I think it was the fear, his fear yeah. book, fear. Uh, pri- the, his previous book on Trump. But we also use, uh, you looked at the book uh, Trump Revealed by the staff of the Washington Post. And one of the most fascinating stories in his biography is that in the 1970s and 1980s, he would have his personal assistant, Brad, lay out every news clipping 
So for his morning, for his morning breakfast, he would look at all the news clippings, all the interviews of himself. Uh, as you probably read during the first year of his presidency, when he got depressed, his staff would put together clips of him with Fox and Friends or positive coverage from Fox News. So we know since a young Donald Trump, he's a narcissist, a massive consumer of all things Donald in the media. So, you know, I would argue looking at his biography from the 70s and the 80s, no surprise that he was calling Bob Woodward, giving him insight after insight to his own detriment. And so it, to me, it, it, or you probably know the stories where he would be John Barron, right? John Barron, which was actually Donald Trump calling reporters, pretending to be his PR man. So it is utterly, utterly bizarre behavior going back to the 70s and 80s that simply is manifesting itself once again. So yeah, it shouldn't surprise us. And then my other thought is it's not just the narcissism and the insatiable consumption of the media, but he, he believes he's the most intelligent person in the room. He's always the smartest person, I think, on any phone call or video conference. So I think he believed, you know, Bob Woodward, I can sway how he writes this book. I can steer him in a direction where this looks pretty good for me. Yeah. But I don't know that Trump, I might actually be giving him too much credit for drilling down. I just think he thought, I know this book is coming out. And of course, the whole book's about him. So he doesn't need to worry about it covering him. Right. But um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the narcissism and just insatiable appetite for all things himself, which is fascinating. Well, by the way, when you were talking about that, how his staff, there's the other story I'm sure you also know is that they figured out in briefings that they could get him to pay attention to briefings if they inserted his name in there a lot. Because he, in terms of, he lo tends to lose uh, attention if, if, if people start talking about somebody else. Uh, so. Exactly. Which exactly. is... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> Here's where you remind me of the tornado chasers in Oklahoma. You know, the, the storm clouds come in and they get excited and they're running outside with their bicycle helmets going, let's, let's go watch the tornado. And I'm hiding underneath my bed, you know, uh, writing my will. And here you yeah. are excited and uh, engaged by this. <laughs> okay, let's shift because I don't want to keep you all night because uh, you're, you're a busy middle manager uh, slash QAnon <laughs> promoter. That's um, right. So you uh, you put together a course on on conspiracy theories in American was it American politics specifically yeah. American history? Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's conspiracy theories uh, in American politics. I think our I think our old friend uh, Lance uh, Lance Janda has taught a course on conspiracy theories, you know, throughout American history, which I which I deal a little bit a, a right. little bit with. But yeah, I mean, I when I first taught the course, so I'll be honest with you, my goal was well, I'm going to dispel. You know, I am going to beat out of them the conspiratorial beliefs on every possible issue. And by, by the way, that's not generally how I teach anyway. I mean, I'd like to think, I mean, I'm not there to indoctrinate or, you know, your brain is going to be reoriented when I get done with you. But I guess I had this passion that, you know, I was going to change their beliefs. Well, I swear to God, it didn't matter how much we read in terms of critical analysis or popular mechanics or other great studies. Um, if they believe 9-11 was an inside job where the government detonated the Twin Towers, I, 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 was, I was not going to expunge that, that belief uh, uh, from, from their brains. 
So the course has essentially moved into, uh, it's the historical analysis that, as you well know, as a historian, conspiracy theories have been with us from the colonial period through the yeah. founding up to today. Um, we also look at the psychology of conspiracy thinking. So I use Rob Brotherton's Suspicious Minds. It's a great book. Just It's a collection of various studies about why we believe in conspiracy theories and why, why our minds are naturally drawn to them. They help to make, they, they can help to bring order to chaos, right? There's some, some nice research on that. So it's kind of a historical analysis. It's also kind of a psychological analysis of why we're drawn to conspiracy theories. And then also looking at some really cool emerging political science research about what are the key predictors of conspiracy thinking. It's not a, it's not a low income, low educated formula right. that, well, you live in a trailer park and you dropped out of high school and by God, you believe in all these conspiracy theories. It's, it cuts across demographics, economics, ideologies. There's, there's as many lunatic conspiracy theories on the left wing as there are on the right wing QAnon. So it's absolutely, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And Donald Trump is a conspiracy theorist in chief, right? I mean, we, right. we now have a conspiracy theorist in chief in the White House. So um, I'll, I'll be able to teach the course whether he wins a second term or not. It'll, it'll live on probably until I stop teaching. Right. By the way, real quick, uh, do you think I agree with you that they're left wing, uh, you know, because there's anti-vaxxers on the left as, as, as well as on the right, for example. There are a lot of people on the left who think that 9-11 was an inside job, that kind of, of thing. I'm, I'm not aware of all the others, but, but uh, the only difference I see, and I'm curious if you can help me out here, because uh, and Trump being the great example, I don't see prominent Democrats promoting uh, conspiracy theories. Um, am I wrong there? I mean, in terms of, of whereas we, we have, I mean, you're going to have, uh, isn't one of the QAnon uh, candidates from Georgia? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, her, uh, yeah, it's from Northwest Georgia. One, her Democratic opponent has already withdrawn from the race and wow. I believe says he's leaving the state. Now, he had almost no chance of winning. Uh, he's like, anyway. fuck it, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but you know, and again, I'm I'm in your ballpark. I'm in your ballpark more than mine. I mean, right, Richard Richard Hofstadter when right. he wrote about the paranoid style in the 1950s, right, right? He he noted how these conspiracy theories fit so well with right wing extremism of don't trust the other, don't trust the foreign. You know, we there there was a greater, more wonderful previous era that has right. been subverted and undermined uh so no and, and, and you're right i mean you don't have uh to, to my knowledge you don't have a lot of uh, uh democratic uh, members of say the house uh espousing espousing various conspiracy theories but i mean it's it's out there i mean i i, I yeah. think um you know I, I think what gets popularly highlighted are the congress soon to be congresswoman from Georgia and, and, and the inability of the Republican Party uh, to denounce her and Trump's love for conspiracy theories. But, you know, if you look at surveys, right, if you look at surveys and say, well, you know, how likely are you, are you to believe in these 10 conspiracy theories or these 12 conspiracy theories, you can see it cross-cutting mm. uh, across uh, different ideologies of party activists or right. ideologues 
on on other side. But yeah, I mean, Hofstadter reminds us that there's a natural affinity between right wing extremism, well, populism, a lot of right wing right. populism. But you know, it makes me think that there are plenty of Bernie Sanders supporters, right? That had, I mean, you know, Trump Trump had the same rhetoric on trade. He had the same rhetoric on you know America being sold out, and so, you know. And some of that can quickly get you into conspiracy thinking on the left yes. and on the right. But, but that fascinates me. I, I, I find that delicious, as I said earlier. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking, too, about the, the Bernie people who still tell me to this day that, that Hillary Clinton uh, screwed uh, Bernie over in 2016. They're still pissed off about that. And I was like, well, what happened this year? Because, you know, he just lost. He just got his ass kicked by Biden. And that I didn't see that coming. Well, they didn't have an answer. Okay, yeah. so let's switch because uh, I am – I really want to know what your take is on QAnon. I've been doing a little reading on it and it all terrifies me and it makes, and you find it delicious. So yeah. because you're, you're a freak, I think is, is clear that we have to say that. So, so can you explain a little bit about where, you know, what that is? How do you place that in this broader context of these conspiracy theories and maybe explain how, how this makes those adherents feel uh, get that. I agree with you that those conspiracies give, they give uh, order to chaos. They give, they give a structure. I'm really curious what QAnon does to, to provide that. So can you maybe explain a little bit about it? And Yeah. And, and look, I'm going to, I'm going to rely upon um, historians far smarter than me, but I mean, my, my first thought, I mean, there's two thoughts. So one, one, it's nothing new. I mean, what the, the, the conspiracy theory uh, from QAnon in terms of the, what Hofstadter would call the sadomasochistic fantasies, right? I mean, whether it's uh, sex slaves, bondage, murder, that's, that's nothing new. I mean, that, you know, we, we, we had similarly very dark conspiracy theories about the Illuminati mm -hmm. in Europe and, and colonial America, or early, I should say the early Republic, uh, Catholic, anti-Catholic conspiracy theories right. have been full of the same kind of rhetoric with deviant sexual activities, murder, murder of children, and then anti-Masonic conspiracy theories in the 1800s where you even had political parties to root out the evils of uh, anti-Masonry. So, I mean, a lot of what you read in QAnon, and I try to emphasize this in my class, is that, you know, again, these, you know, really dark, sexually sinister, bizarre, murderous, uh, sex slaves, children, and um, nothing new. Illuminati, anti-Catholic, anti-Masonic conspiracy theories, they've been around for, for hundreds of years. But what, so nothing new, but you layer on how polarized the electorate is. And so now it's fashionable to say, well, this deviant behavior is what? Hollywood elites, mm. it's democratic donors, it's the uh, democratic party itself. We could talk about Pizzagate. So you, you have this hyperpolarization that fuels and drives this kind of sadomasochistic conspiracy theory. And then Trump as the savior the fact that, and again, that's popular in conspiracy theories, right? That there is the, the deliverer of the light, he who fights Luciferian evil. I mean, when QAnon talks about the Luciferian evil of Hollywood and Democratic donors and Bill and Hillary Clinton, I mean, it's right out of the pages of, of the Illuminati. And so Trump becomes uh, the white savior 
So, I mean, I'm throwing all kinds of stuff on the wall here, but yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a centuries old pattern. It, it also, I think, involves no shortage of race. And again, Trump is this white savior um, and not to mention polarization. You know, the fact mm -hmm. that yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a Republican, but really, it's the Democrats who, I mean, they're evil. They, they, right. they, are, they are here to destroy America. And then there's no shortage of Democrats who would say, yeah, I mean, I'm a Democrat, but really, the Republicans are evil, and they're here to destroy America. And so it's this, I hate to use this phrase, but it's this perfect storm of classic conspiracy thinking, polarization, and then race. Trump is the savior, and... It's good. Well, it's a good. It's fascinating stuff. Yes. Fascinating. So, so one that you didn't mention, uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, right? I mean, that oh, there's yeah, Protocols some of, of the Learned Elders of Zion, right? That, yeah. that, that just that garbage, fictional, historical document, one that Hitler, one that Hitler frequently rent, uh, referenced. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and please don't let me forget. Yeah. About uh, all the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Right. The, the argument, oh, well, Hollywood moguls are Jews, and, right. and these Jews, look what they're doing. So, yeah, anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic, anti-Masonic, and then Illuminati fears, conspiracy theories. Right. So, it's, you know, it's really nothing new, but I think we're in the 21st yeah. century. I think we believe, oh, my God, we're beyond all of this. Yeah. No, we're not. No. Not, not even I, close. I, you know, because I didn't realize the uh... – I was talking to, well, Troy Paddock, you know, our buddy Troy from, uh, oh, yeah. he, he did one of our podcasts talk about fascism. And, and so since he's a German historian and, and he was talking about the uh, anti-Semitic beliefs in Germany that portrayed all Jewish men as, as rapists. And so there's actually this, and I, and I was like, I had no idea. I mean, that's obviously a trope for African-Americans and for uh, native. Uh, and so, you know, that, that was kind of, and then I didn't realize also that the, the anti-Semitic, uh, the protocols and other things had in there that the Jews were essentially harvesting babies for, for the blood or for some chemical in the blood that actually gave them some kind of high. And that has come back around here with QAnon, which is like, what the fuck? That's yeah. uh, but it is so. So actually, one question about this anti-Semitism because it feels like that that has been one of the more odder tiptoeing for Trump. I mean, you know, he's got he's got a he's got Jewish grandkids. He's got a, a Jewish son-in-law. He's he was very early on. I remember. I'm sure you saw that press conference very early on when a a, a conservative Jew asked him about anti-Semitism and didn't Trump didn't realize he was actually asking him a positive question he was giving him a way out of it but trump took offense to it and was talking and so he invoked his uh, jewish family and everything else i mean that one seems to be you know the the tougher one because so many of his base seem to be drawn to the anti-semitic tropes well and, and and i don't mean to say that oh well it, you know he's he's not dangerous or he's not anything yeah. to worry about but i think so much of this relates to there's no for donald trump taking away the last four or five years pulling him out of that, there's really no underlying ideology with him, mm, right? Yeah. I mean, other than, I mean, it's it's self-promotion. Yes. It's self-promotion, not being a loser. We know that's the fundamental fear. 
and you know look at as you said earlier look at his descriptions of those who died in battles but you know the there's which i don't know maybe that you could argue maybe that is its own ideology that narcissism yeah. the media consumption this the self-promotion but yeah you, you you see these positions he takes where right there's you know there's good people there's fine people on both sides. What was what was his QAnon statement this summer? Well, I hear they love me, or you know, I hear they really like me, and you know, they they love their country. They love their country. Right. But a lot of this is because I don't think he has a fundamental underlying ideology yes. other than pure narcissism, pure self-promotion. And hey, if they're saying good things about me, well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> right. I, you know, I was struck by the the savior part too, and I was thinking because I agree with you completely that there's really no core anything to Trump uh, except for being perceived as as successful, wealthy, and sexual. You know, whatever. Um, now I'm going to have that image in my mind. Um, uh, he, you know, I mean, he, he is. I've often thought from the early days. I mean, over his political pronouncements back in his early run when he ran, he was going to run as a a reform party candidate, I think. So he's been, he's sort of dipped his toe in the water. And so there are times when he was advocating for high taxes on, on the rich. And there are times when he was advocating for uh, pro-choice abortion laws. I mean, he's all over the map. And so it does seem like that it's very reflexive. It's just sort of what he thinks will stick in this certain and will reinforce and get him that, that uh, dopamine hit of people loving him. But from the other side, it's because uh, I, actually I was when you were telling me about conspiracy theories, giving the people who hold to them something, it gives them some kind of coherent something. And I was thinking, how, how could you possibly get something good out of believing that Hillary Clinton is raising babies to uh, drink their blood? And it dawned on me that part of that is is a really perfect way if, if you need to figure out a way in your brain to make Donald Trump a, a, an, a, a good choice, not just a lesser of evils or whatever, then having him as the guy who's standing up against global pedophilia. I mean, who is for pedophilia? I mean, you know, obviously there are some people, but you know, that, 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 that's an easy, so it's an easy kind of mind shift to go there to say, well, yeah, he may be a shit bag, but he, he hates pedophiles and who doesn't hate pedophiles? Yeah. Well, and, and I thought too, to maybe, tie together uh, a, a lot of the things that we've discussed. I mean, when, when you were just mentioning uh, Hillary, when, when Jerry Falwell, right? If you remember Jerry Falwell promoting the Clinton Chronicles, I remember this vividly from the early 90s before Bill ran in 92. And the Clinton Chronicles, and it's expanded since Hillary uh, was a uh, Secretary of State, U.S. Senator, and ran for president. But, you know, the Clinton Chronicles was this argument that Bill and Hillary had orchestrated the death of dozens of individuals. Of course, there was the very tragic Vince Foster suicide, right, in the White, uh, White House uh, White House Council. This goes back decades, but it also has deep roots in the rise of the moral majority hmm. and the rise of evangelical Christians and their influence in politics. Um, now, again, a lot of that goes back to Richard Vigory in the 1970s mm-hmm. and their great skill with direct mailing and uh, the, the, how, how brilliantly Reagan co-opted them or they co-opted Reagan. We could debate that. So I mean, th- those are the big picture items. But I just wanted to add that there is this conspiracy strand going back to the Clinton Chronicles, Jerry Falwell, and, and this appeal uh, to some 
in the evangelical Christian community. It fits with Savior nicely. And here it is on display again in 2020 with QAnon. It's just, it's utterly fascinating. I mean, there are two things to come to mind. One of them is I had not thought about the uh, eschatology kind of leanings of the evangelical right as a part of a conspiracy. Because I was thinking about, I was luckily enough in my evangelical upbringing, I wasn't inundated by that stuff. But I know people who were, where they were told from very early ages that at some point all the Christians were going to be rounded up and put into camps and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I I, I didn't get that. Uh, So, but it's out there in the, in a lot of the ex-evangelical circles mentioning Falwell and then thinking about Pat Robertson is another kind of architect about this. And I remember there was a scholar, uh, you remember David Levy in the history department. Um, His brother studied uh, some of the anti-Semitic kind of movements. He came and gave a talk and we were talking about Zionism and that's some of what I was just actually getting at. So Trump's overt appeals to, you know, I moved, uh, you know, the embassy to uh, Jerusalem you know, I, he, actually, he said it wrong the other day. He said, I moved the capital to Jerusalem, uh, to which all of Israel was like, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> um, and he said it very overtly. He said uh, the evangelicals wanted that. I, they they, they love that. They're in those evangelical circles, and I was raised in part of that. There is an intense belief in anti – I mean, they are anti-Semitic at the core. I mean, they think Jews are behind – all sorts of bad stuff, but they're drawn to that Zionist kind of connection of, you know, how the second coming will happen in Israel and how their their own kind of afterlife is connected to that. So they see themselves as being pro-Israel. This is something uh, Netanyahu is very aware of and very adept at, at using, right? So it's that that's part of the of the tiptoeing there with with the anti-Semitism is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, right? I mean, you know, you. Um... You mentioned you know, whether it's end of days theology uh, or say the rise of uh, the rise of an antichrist. I mean, millennialism, or maybe re- really more specifically, premillennialism, is 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 chocked full of conspiracy yes. thinking, right? Fears of one world government. I mean, I remember n- not understanding what I was reading, like how Lindsay and the late great planet Earth. Oh yeah. Why that book was in my hands in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> No idea. Probably delinquent parenting by my. Yes, by probably. My... Yeah, exactly. The only reason to read that book, or the only way to read that book, is is uh, high. I'm convinced oh, oh, yeah, that's the yeah. only. No, way but to it, but to your point, right? So it, you know, much much broader than Falwell's Clinton Chronicles is yeah, premillennialism. Uh, it's classic. So much of that is that theology is classic conspiracy thinking. And then I was going to also add what what's fascinating with QAnon and also religious theology, this idea that everything is connected, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no accidents. It, history is good versus evil, and evil's winning, baby. Yeah. Evil is winning. And so there's a, there's a map, I think, from QAnon called the Great Awakening, and it's something that you might see coming out. A, a doodle from a mental hospital is maybe the, the best way I can describe it. But those themes of everything is connected, there's no accidents. History is good versus evil, and we're progressing towards a greater evil. You know, QAnon has appropriated all or many of those hmm. classic theological themes that also are what uh, vintage conspiracy thinking. Again, so that's 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 fascinating. Yeah, that. Man, I, I saw a clip. You've probably seen it. Jim uh, Jeffords, the the uh, Australian comic, 
mm-hmm. sat down with some uh, QAnon, uh, and of course, it's a comedy show. But it was so funny to watch them, you know, just and and occasionally one of them would say something, and the others would look at him and go, "Wait, that's crazy." <laughs> you know, it's a, I, that that QAnon thing, and uh, I saw that it's actually really taken hold. This all kind of comes back together. It's all connected, James. Um, it, it, <laughs> that uh, it's it's getting uh, a big foothold in the evangelical church. Thanks for listening today to our discussion on the awful role conspiracy theories play in our politics. Once again, if you enjoy this podcast, please let your friends know about it. And if you have time, drop in wherever you listen and give us a review. See you next time. It's time. For a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.